You're listening to Right Where You Are, hosted by New York Times bestselling author, creator, and speaker, Jason Wright. With inspiring guest interviews and Jason's unique lens on life, this is the place to see the good in the world, to lift and be lifted, no matter your starting point, to make a difference that matters. And we'll do it all together, right where you are. Hello, welcome back to Right Where You Are, hosted by, no, this is not Jason Wright. This is Heather Moore, and he might regret it, but Jason has given me the mic today and going from interviewer to interviewee. This ought to be fun. But before we get to him, do us a favor. Please rate and review this show on Apple, Audible, Google, or Spotify, or wherever you're listening to the podcast. It takes just a few seconds, but it's so important to help us continue to grow this family of ours. So my guest today, as you already know, is Jason Wright. Jason is a New York Times bestseller, Wall Street Journal, and USA Today bestselling author. Jason also writes an occasional column, which has appeared in over 100 newspapers, magazines, and websites across the United States, including the Washington Times, the Chicago Tribune, the Desert News, Forbes, CNN, Fox News, and many others. Jason is also a popular speaker who speaks on the principles of seeing, loving, and lifting others, the miracle of opening doors, faith, failure, the Christmas stars movement, the lost art of writing, and many other topics. He has been seen on CNN, Fox News, C-SPAN, and on local television stations around the country. Each year, Jason visits schools across the country and presents assemblies and writing workshops to students at all ages. Jason grew up in Charlottesville, Virginia, but has also lived in Germany, Illinois, Brazil, Oregon, and Utah. In 2007, while researching Virginia's Shenandoah Valley for his novel, The Wednesday Letters, which I read and loved, Jason fell in love with the area, so he moved his family westward from Northern Virginia to Woodstock. Jason is married to Cody Erickson Wright. They have two girls and two boys they love and two grandchildren they love even more. (laughs) Now the fun part. Mm. I've got a long list of questions from readers, which may or may not trip Jason up because I've got some fun ones coming. And of course, some of my own. I really love the comment about Jason loving his grandchildren just a little more. I actually have a new grandbaby. He is seven weeks old and I always count down the days until I get to see him next. So these are really fun questions. So thank you readers very much. Um, Some of them were similar to each other. So I may not read every single question that was sent in, but I'll definitely mention who sent them in. So Brian Hopkins Hold said- on. This is really weird, right? Like, can we just admit that right off the top? This is so weird listening to someone on the other end hosting the podcast. This is, I, I mean, talk about throwing your trust to somebody, Miss Heather. This is really strange. And we're on Zoom. So I'm watching, I'm watching you <laughs> as the host do your thing. And I'm like, this is, this, this could be dangerous. Heather might be taking over right where you are from here on out. That this might be a hostile takeover by the time we're done today. Right. And Jason and I go back a ways. So it's kind of trust both ways. In fact, I think we met, I don't even know how many years ago, but we shared an agent and mm-hmm. we've also um, been in the same writing space and publishing space for a while. Mm-hmm. And so it was kind of cool to do this. And I am trying to think of anything I need to get them back for. <laughs> this will wow. be my opportunity. Oh <laughs> boy. And and just so people know, I, um, I'm aware there are questions coming obviously. And I, I saw, you know, many of the suggestions that came in from readers, but I, I don't know exactly what she's going to ask or what she is going to 
um, ask on her own that was not in the list of questions from our from our listeners around the country. So let's just we'll buckle up and go. I am ready when you are, Miss Heather. So I'm sure this is one you may have had before, but I'm very interested because I am a huge fan of the Christmas stars, and I'll tell you a little bit more about that later. But Brian Hopkins wants to know if the Christmas stars was based on your life or someone that you know. Yeah, great, great question and great first question. Um, I would refer folks back to um, the episode with Chris Schobinger uh, was, I think, episode two. Uh, and we do talk a little bit about Christmas stars back then. Uh, uh, that was a couple of months ago. Uh, but no, it, it's not based on a a true story per se, but it is inspired by my family's experience in um, really experimenting with filling a jar and giving it away uh, back in the Christmas of 2004 when we were looking for sort of a new tradition with our young family. And we, uh, as they do in the book, put a jar on the counter, fill it with change, uh, pick someone to give the jar away to anonymously, had really such a, a powerful, even a transformational experience giving it away that um, over the days and weeks that followed, uh, my wife and I said, you know, maybe there's something that could be fictionalized out of this to inspire other people to to sort of experiment in the same way that we had. And so the little uh, novella was born um, over the next six or eight weeks. And again, nothing that happens in the book is, uh, you know, ripped from from my life or the headlines, but but it was inspired by the way our family was changed by that simple act of, of slowly accumulating, not just money, but kindness in a jar and then passing it on. So yeah, that's, that is a good place to start because that's sort of where uh, this all began, but without that book, without that experiment, without that Christmas in 2004, I wouldn't probably be uh, on a podcast today interviewed by Heather. Right. (laughs) Um, Well, and like I mentioned, I did love the book and it definitely changed our family's life. So Brian Hopkins also wanted to know that, well, the impact of the Christmas stars not only was in book form, but also ended up being produced into a movie. So in his question, his final question was, there are some things that were different, obviously, as you transfer a book into into a film. Um, But did you have a say in what was changed and what was different in the film? Uh, another great question, uh, Brian. I appreciate that. I I didn't have any contractual contract contractual contractual contractual. That's you a tough it. one. <laughs> Heather's laughing at me on Zoom. We might have to edit that out. I didn't have any contractual. There it is. Um, leverage, really, with the adaptation from the novel to the script, but. Um, as is often the case, producers and and um, you know the folks developing the project want authors invested and involved and happy. So I um, I was a, a part of that a bit. I I read some early drafts and was on some uh, some story phone calls and things. Uh, chatted a little bit with the screenwriter, but you know to be perfectly honest, I really trusted the team that was behind it, and it had been such a long. 14-year journey of getting this thing to film that I was really at that point ready to just say, you know what, as long as it says Christmas jars somewhere on the poster, I'll be (laughs) fine. If it's a horror film, I'll be fine, whatever. Let's just get this thing made. So 
Uh, so no, I, I didn't have, um, again, I, I didn't have like any kind of a final cut approval or anything, but I, I did offer some input here and there and, and was really, really pleased with the script and more importantly with the final product. I, I've said this before in interviews, but I, um, most authors say, well, the book is so much better, you know, don't, don't go see the movie. It'll ruin it. But I actually think the movie is as good or better than the book. So, and I have no problem saying that. You know, and I feel like we can enjoy both equally. We can enjoy um, a book to its fullest, and you could also enjoy the creative interpretation of, of a film. So I would just say, read it and watch it. Um, before we move on to the next questions, I just I just wanted to bring up an experience that is personal to me about the Christmas stars. Uh, about seven years ago, my niece delivered her first baby, super excited. Uh, they live in Vernal, Utah. And after a couple of days, she noticed that her daughter just did not seem to be thriving. They took her to the doctor, the pediatrician, and he told them to take their, their new little daughter, who's only a few days old, to primary care hospital, which is um, in Salt Lake. So it's a three-hour drive, which, of course, is hard to do when you're a brand-new mom with a brand-new baby. So they ended up finding that she had a little flap in the back of her throat that was preventing her from swelling correctly so she had to go on to a surgery and you think seven years ago she's totally fine <laughs> totally healthy um but during that weekend that they're at the hospital waiting for the surgery to happen on monday um they were given a christmas jar oh. you can edit all this out <laughs> Mm-mm. Um, no way, but they, but not only was, was the, the money needed, which of course anyone with hospital bills needs, but it was the thought and the love and compassion that were show, show to them. Oh, that's so beautiful. I appreciate, I had no idea. Obviously you were going to share that, but that's, um, and, you know, uh, Heather, you're a writer. We'll talk about that a little bit deeper in when I do get to ask you a couple of questions before we say goodbye. And so you understand that, you know, we we write and hope that something we create might inspire somebody or, you know, touch someone's heart or, um, you know, inspire someone to, to change or make a change. But you just never know. You just, you don't know. You You put your creation out there in the world and then just kind of hope for the best. And and so when you hear stories like that, where, um, you know, something that came out of your head has, has inspired that kind of kindness, um, it's just, it's hard to articulate how that makes the, the author, me in this case, feel. And I, and I know you can relate having written and sold, um, you know, plenty of books in your own right. So I, I appreciate you sharing that. It's it's why we do what we do, right? It's in the hopes that we'll have that kind of an impact on someone and then we're humbled when we do. Well, thank you, Jason, for all your work and your inspiration. Um, let's go to the next question from Barb. You has, hopefully I pronounced her name right. So this is a question that I also get a lot as a writer, but I am very interested to hear your answer is she wants to know why did you get into writing and um, where do you get your inspiration for your books? So it's kind of a two-part question there. Yeah. You know, Heather, isn't that the number one thing probably that we were asked at, at book clubs or signings or, or writers conferences? 
for me, and I've I've answered this question a, um, a lot, and in fact, maybe in the show notes, I can put a couple links to uh, some answers that are a little bit more in depth than what we have time for here. But I I just knew because I had a third grade teacher that knew and believed and was willing to tell me that, like you know you you could be good at this. This could be something that could could shape and drive your life. And, you know, what, what third grade teacher says that and, and what third grader has any kind of talent? I certainly didn't. She just, you know, she lifted me because she saw that there was some, there was some passion behind it. Um, and, and, you know, the, the writing in the third grade got a little bit better, <laughs> although <laughs> maybe some of my critics would say not much. Uh, and my, my ideas through the years have come mostly from just watching the world around me. Um, most of my work has been fiction. And, you know, as everyone knows, those are ideas that sort of come out of your head and, and you feed with imagination and see where they go. But I, I have tended to write, you know, what we would call adult contemporary fiction. And for me, that's defined by a story that feels, though you know it's fiction, feels like it could have happened to your neighbor or to your family or, or in your neighborhood. Uh, Christmas Charge was certainly like that, something that we wanted to feel that again, while fiction could certainly be real enough that someone might say, yeah, I could, I could go do that. So um, I get a lot of ideas from just watching and listening and, and kind of being aware of the world around me. And then, and then I tap into that third grade imagination, which, you know, never really sits still. And I, I for sure know you can relate to that um, writing fiction as well. Right. We never really want to grow up, do we? No, we don't. No. <laughs> so Majan Phillips has a great question, and I'm really interested to hear what your answer is. If you were a ball player, what would be your walk-up song? <laughs> that, is, uh, that is such a funny question. It's a, that's a funny question because I am editing over the last couple of days, in fact, just before this interview began, um, editing a novel that will be out next March where baseball plays um, a somewhat prominent role uh, in the lives of the family that um, that's featured. So I've thought a lot about baseball over the last, uh, really over the last year of working on this book. I, I uh, that's a, that is a really tough one, but I think if I had to close my eyes and imagine like walking up to a, um, to a batter's box, you know, tapping my cleats with my bat and adjusting the helmet, I, I think it would be uh, the middle by Jimmy Eat World, which is <laughs> one of my all-time favorite songs. And um, my daughter JD and I did a lip sync of that a few years ago, and just thinking about it just kind of still chokes me up because we had so much fun doing it. Um, so Catherine Livingston, her questions were very similar to Barb and Brian's, and so we'll move on to Laura Richens. She, and this is something I'm very curious about, uh, what is one of your most, and I'm going to say one of your most, because I'm sure you've had more than one moments, most embarrassing moments while public speaking. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. So, um, <laughs> so I was speaking at a school uh, years ago. And it was one of these back to back to back, um, just one group after another with what the school had wanted the same presentation, which I'm, 
I'm loath to do because I like to keep it fresh and interesting and, and for my brain to keep, you know, thinking and making it a unique experience for every group of kids you've got, but it's, it's not what the administration wanted. They, they had a plan to, to do some follow-up on the visit later over the, over the weeks to come. And that meant that they wanted the kids to hear the, the same stories and the same analogies and everything. So um, I think I did like eight or nine of these um, like 35 minute minute presentations over the course of a school day. And I got toward the end of the day and my brain was just like, have I told this story already? Like, have I used this line with this group? And, uh, and so I'm standing there in this little amphitheater, you know, there's probably, I don't know, 60 or 70 kids per group. And I, and I, I start to tell the story about being at their age in middle school and, um, and it's really quiet. And I can tell that there's like, you know, do I have something in my teeth is, you know, like what's happened. And, um, and I look down at a, at a, uh, actually one of the librarians and media specialists on the front row and. She's like, you told this story already. <laughs> and I went, oh, my goodness. I said, have I told you all this story? And they're like, yeah, like seven minutes ago. So I uh, uh, and I just sort of had to admit, look, I've been here all day, guys. And I just I'm, I'm losing track of what I've said and what I haven't. What's yours? What is yours, Heather? Oh, I think mine probably has to do with. Um, having the wrong presentation ready mm. and just trying to scramble and talk about what I was supposed to be talking about while they were reloading the PowerPoint and pretending like I wasn't flustered and oh, about ready to there's die. There's so much anxiety, right? Your anxiety level just like goes through the roof when that kind of thing happens. Yeah. And then you never really do calm down. <laughs> no, you don't. Not until it's long over. So. Yeah. So this is kind of a, a fun one and I'm sure maybe this will even spark of new books someday, but Laura also asked, what are some marriage tips or advice that you oh. have for the rest of us? Oh man, that's a good thing. Cody's not on today. She'd say you were asking the wrong guy um, for marriage advice. I, you know, probably the best advice that I ever got that I, I still, you know, I need to work on every day is, is putting your spouse first always. And that sounds like such a cliche, but um, but your spouse should come before your job, before your chores. And in something that some people find controversial, your spouse should come before your kids. Um, and I've, I've tried through the years, and I think my wife is as well, um, to, to teach our kids that there's no pitting us against one another. Because if I've got to choose, I'm, I'm choosing her. Um, and they're choosing me. So maybe that sounds a little rough, but I think the promises that we make when we get married are obviously we want to raise a family and have healthy kids and we want to have loving and nourishing relationships with them. But in the end, it's that one that you're married to who you will spend the majority of your life with until, um, until the other side when, you know, I believe that marriage can continue. So uh, I, I think, I think putting your spouse first and them always knowing that they come first above any other distraction um, or even good thing in life like kids is pretty important. But again, I will not be writing any books on marriage. I don't think certainly not with my wife's blessing. (laughs) Well, that's great advice. I think that definitely um, has helped me as well in my marriage. So now we're moving to D Whiteman. 
and who asked, okay, this is sort of a funny one. Out of all the different chicken sandwiches in the fast food industry out there, which is your favorite? Oh, my heavens. <laughs> oh, boy. Favorite chicken sandwich. Um, there, there is what, is, what is going on in the world with these chicken sandwich wars that I'm constantly reading about? You know, there's a place called Zaxby's. I don't know if they have those across the country or if that's just a, a an Eastern Virginia. We, kind of we have them out West. We do. do their, their chicken sandwich, their grilled chicken sandwich. I, I don't eat breaded chicken because I have celiac sadly, but, but their grilled chicken sandwiches is, is maybe the best, you know, grilled chicken breast I've ever had in my life. So I'm a huge fan of Zaxby's. This episode of right where you are brought to you by Zaxby's. Um, if they need a mailing address for where to send any chicken sandwiches, I, I can provide that in the show notes, but yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan. You know, I, I can do Chick-fil-A like the rest of the world. Um, but I, I don't think Chick-fil-A is the only true and living option out there for a good chicken sandwich. So this is our final question from a reader, not our final question. Cause I have a few coming too. Uh-oh. Julie Hilton said, how did you get into public speaking? Hmm. That's a good question, Julie. Um, oh boy. You know, I didn't mean to get into public speaking. It's, um, and Heather, you might be able to speak to this as well, but when I was young, I just envisioned, maybe it's from, you know, movies or film strips in elementary school that, that writers, you know, worked in their, in their bathrobes and, you know, nibbled on licorice all day long. And then they sent their manuscript off to a publisher who then did all the work and then just sent a check every month or whatever. Right. I didn't have any idea just how much work went into the marketing and promotional side of writing. And, and so, you know, when I had my first invitation to, it was actually to speak at a church. um, I said, what about what? And they're like, well, you know, about your book. And I had done a little bit of public speaking in the political world when I, you know, when I worked in DC, but, but then I wasn't, I wasn't speaking about my original ideas as much as I was, you know, speaking about or advocating about public policy issues um, that our, that our think tank worked on. So this was different. This was like, yeah, we want you to stand up for 45 minutes and tell us what's in your head about this thing you've written. And so that it took me a little while to sort of get used to that. Um, but then I'll, I mean, I'll confess, I actually enjoy it as much or more than the writing. Um, I, I love going out and being able to tell stories now, you know, on stage or, um, you know, at a book club or at a church or in a library. And, and so the writing in many ways has become, you know, sort of a a vehicle for me to have more of those opportunities to get out and connect with people. Uh, Again, when I was young, I just didn't, I didn't, even with the image of the guy in his bathroom munching on licorice, I just didn't realize how solitary and lonely writing could become. And I mean, just as we mentioned a minute ago, I've been editing long hours uh, the last several days, which is kind of unusual for me. I don't, I don't normally work in long stretches like that unless I'm really crunched under a deadline. And I just have not, I could not get out of my office fast enough at the end of the day to get home and to see other human beings and to chat and to tell stories and to laugh and, you know, to, to throw food across the room at my kids. I just wanted to be I'm a, you know, I'm a people kind of a person and writing can sometimes, um, you know, feel a little bit lonely. Do you feel that way sometimes when you're dialed into a project? 
I I get so into my head that I have told myself I cannot drive after I've been writing. Oh. I have to take like a 30 minute. So I will get in the car and I will not know where I'm going and I'll take weird wrong turns. So it's definitely, wow. I think I just get into this different world and my mind ha- takes a while to wind down from it. Don't write and drive. I mean, that is nothing yes. I've ever heard before. Don't write then drive. <laughs> So this actually goes perfectly into one of my questions. Um, I am very curious to know about your typical writing day. What do you wear? Do you have snacks? Do you outline? Do you pants? Do you write to music? Do you go away? Do you have a location you you love? Oh, wow. There's a lot there. There are a lot of questions there, Heather. Um, I, I would say yes to all of that. Um, um, I Because I do some writing that is not you know, traditional a novel a year or whatever. Um, I am always writing. I'm writing every day, but not necessarily something that, you know, will end up, you know, on a hardcover, you know, in a, in a bookstore in 12 months. Um, and I strive, I strive, I've been striving and failing to have a better schedule for a long time, to live the 2000 word rule per day, um, which is sort of a common number that that uh, full-time writers talk about as being the number where you, you know, you can kind of take yourself seriously and other people will take you seriously. Um, That's, I've never been able to hit that on a, on a long-term, you know, five day a week basis. Um, But I, but I do make time every day to turn off the phone and the email and to sit and to see, you know, to open up whatever I'm, whatever files I'm working on and to dive in. And sometimes some of my best work, you know, might be in a 20 minute quick burst because I have an idea on a chapter or um, a new project. And, um, and sometimes it's the last 20 minutes of a, you know, of a six hour day. I, um, when I wrote this, the novel that I'm editing now, which, which will be out next March, um, some of the folks listening might remember that I wrote it live online, the first draft using Google Docs every day at one o'clock. So people from around the world were logging on every day to see this story kind of come to life. And so that came together over 42, the first draft over 42 writing sessions, which is, which is fairly quick for a, for a first draft. Um, and that was not a matter of spending long periods of time. It was just every single day, you know, six days a week, I was online writing. So um, as for the, um, you know, the plotting or pantsing, you know, writing by the seat of your pants or, or plotting and outlining. I, I sort of do a little bit of both. I, I do think that readers tend to know when a writer didn't know where he was going. Um, and I often just for myself, I use the, um, the analogy to movie making. You just, you know, if you had a great idea for a movie and you went into a, um, a studio or an investor and said, hey, I need, I need $30 million. I'm going to make this movie and here's the premise. They'd say, well, what happens next? And then what happens? And how does that end? And they would never green light it unless they knew the full story and why it would matter, right? Like, why why does that climax at the end of the movie matter so much? Because ultimately, that's what they're funding is the big moment. Um, And I just think for novelists, they tend to have more success, um, or even people that are writing nonfiction, um, I just think if you're storytelling, you'll have a little more success if you at least have some idea of of where you're going to get at the end of the at the end of the journey. 
and it's going to change as you go and characters will walk in and out of scenes that you don't expect. And, um, you know, I've certainly had that happen where through the editing process or even through drafting a first draft, it, and it takes some detours I didn't quite expect, but everything I've written, I've had a pretty good idea of what that big moment was going to look like at the end before I was done. Don't know if that answers a question or not, but I, I think there's a balance between the two. I agree. I find that as well. There's sometimes when I am, when I feel like I need more outlining and other times you, you, like you, like you said, you let the character walk, walk in and out of the scene yep. and surprise you a little bit. Okay. So basically um, I have always loved Jason Wright books and I, and I'm pretty sure I've read all of them. So I don't know if that makes me a super fan or not, but it does. It, I know it does. I a, okay, good. I know when I pick up a Jason Wright book that I'm going to be inspired. I might get a little teary eyed, um, but it's also going to be thought pro- provoking, but knowing you as an author, not that we're besties. I mean, we live completely different sides of the country, but, but I have always been impressed with you walking the walk. Not only are you writing about uh, characters and stories that are inspirational, but you also are, are an inspirational person yourself. Um, and I've loved that you have met so many strangers and you've shared those stories. So I just wanted to hear from you, maybe something recently, one of your random meeting with all these strangers that you meet um, and learning their story that has inspired you. Oh, uh, well, thank you, by the way, you're, you're so very kind. Um, I, oh man, I mean, I just don't, I don't get far without, you know, meeting somebody, um, something I inherited from both my mother and my father. They're um, not afraid to talk to, not afraid to talk to strangers. Um, It's such a cliche, the, you know, I'm sure everyone has heard that a a stranger is just uh, someone you haven't met yet, or a friend is a stranger you haven't met yet, or some variation of those. But it's really true. I, I just, I feel like everyone has, if you, if you see, if you see the world and everyone in it as having value, then why wouldn't you want to get to know them? It doesn't mean that you'll, you'll go to lunch every Wednesday at 12 for the rest of your lives or that you'll friend them on social media or, um, you know, vacation with your families. But if you truly see everyone the way that I think God expects us to see one another, then, um, then of course there's value and, and everyone has, you know, their own journey and their own story and, some of the most interesting people that I've met in my life have been 15, 20, 30 minute interactions uh, at a bus stop or in a checkout line, or, um, you know, maybe a few minutes longer on a plane. So I think, and I, I wrote about it recently. I think this gentleman that I met who rear ended me um, about two weeks ago, um, his name is Neil, just a really cool guy who was, had worked a very long day Um a very long day. And he just, you know, thought I'd pulled into the intersection uh, to merge into traffic and, and uh, then looked, you know, left one more time and then gassed it and, and, uh, you know, crashed into us. And he had a lot more damage to his vehicle than we had ours, but my son and I stood there and we chatted with him and waited for the police and got to know him a little bit. And, and, um, you know, by the end of the night, we'd given him a ride home and, and um, given him the keys to my car and said, you can just, you can drive, you know, one of our other vehicles that's just sitting at the house until, um, 
till you can get yours fixed or get a rental, a loaner car. And, and, you know, the, the police were so just taken by that. Like, are, are you sure you want to do this? And I said, well, isn't this what anybody would do? I mean, isn't like, why is kindness so newsworthy? You know, I, one of my really good friends, Steve Hartman, uh, if you haven't listened to the Steve Hartman episode, um, he's uh, on the road with Steve Hartman at CBS News. It's uh, several weeks ago. I I recommend you go back and listen to it. Not not for me, but for him. He and I have talked a lot about about um, telling kindness stories like that one that I just shared enough and so often that they just don't become newsworthy anymore. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Like, why is it, if I write about something kind that I have seen or experienced or that someone has done to me or I've done to someone else, um, those posts always have the most engagement and the, the most interaction and the shares and likes and comments and all that around the world. And it's because people are so startled when they hear, oh, well, this guy loaned a car or this guy loaned some money or or this person did something so nice for Jason and his family. I have been so blessed to be the, the beneficiary of so much, um, so many acts of kindness from so many people. And I'm not afraid to, you know, to share those things, nice things people have done for me. But I, I want, uh, my goal in this life would be for those kinds of stories, um, those small acts of kindness to just become so much the norm that, we don't pay as much attention to them anymore. They just wouldn't have to stand out. Does that make sense, Heather? Yeah, I agree. I love that. Thanks for sharing that. Sure. So what is, you kind of hinted a little bit about this book you're editing. So is this your next book coming out in March? Yeah, March 3rd. Can you give us any more information? Or are you keeping it under wraps? Um, sure. I, yeah, no, I'll I'll tell you um, the title is changing. Um it was it was called uh, the Busta Gulf Breeze, and um, um, I I think we talked about the title in a previous episode, so it's probably okay to say it's it's being renamed. Even the dog knows, um, as in everyone knows, even the dog. Even the dog. <laughs> um, and it's really sort of a classic family story, a family dynamic about um, a couple that's been married for many years. Uh, raising a grandchild together as their son. And uh, just after he graduates from high school, the wife decides she's kind of had enough and she gets in the car and she moves to Gulf Breeze, Florida from Woodstock, Virginia. And um, three years pass when you get to the, the, the meat of the story and she sends him a letter from Florida to Virginia saying, I want you to bring the family dog, Moses. Um, so that I can say goodbye. And there's a such a cool um, dynamic that begins to sort of, um, gosh, it's so hard to talk about this without giving too much away, but um, this husband, not divorced, but separated from his wife, has to decide whether or not he's willing to take that kind of a journey. And, uh, and ultimately to, to drive a baseball bus, um, for the local baseball team from Woodstock to Florida and all of the, all of the detours that might come along that ride. And then to, you know, say things to his wife that he's not sure he can say. So it's, it's a, there are no aliens, there are no gun battles, um, there are no Christmas jars, um, but but there is a family that needs some healing and 
and I hope finds it by the end of the book. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to that. Well, that is the end of all my questions. And so you're now out of the hot seat. Woo. Hallelujah. Um, Heather, what are you working on? So, oh, I have a book coming out in a few months called The Slow March of Light. And it's set in the Cold War era in West Germany about a man named Bob Anama, who he's still alive in Idaho. And he was sent to work as a spy in East Germany. And it's his story of of how he got caught and imprisoned and then put his life back together after he was released. And when does that come out? September 7th. September 7th. Um, is that Tuesday? Yes. Yeah. Tuesdays are Tuesdays are great days for authors, aren't they? And where will people find this book? Honestly, anywhere online, uh, basically anywhere online and hopefully in your local bookstore as well. And they can pre-order it today, of course. Yes. Awesome. And who's publishing that? Shadow Mountain, which is ironic because now you and I are back with the same publisher. We are. Yeah. Back under the same roof with uh, with the same wonderful team. Well, that's, I'm, I'm excited for you. You know, my wife, uh, my wife is a huge, huge, huge fan of Heather Brownmore. And um, she in particular likes your series on um, women from the scriptures. And yeah. how many, how many are there? Three, four? Um, there's probably quite a few now. I think uh, I've covered a lot of the biblical women or the old Testament women. I'm now writing about the new Testament women. Got it. Got it. Well, um, that's, I, I think, I, I don't remember you and I were chatting about something and I, I just remember my wife kind of overhearing going, wait, 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 is that the same Heather that writes these books? And, um, and she's way more interested in your work, I think, than she is in mine. So she's, she's, she's a fan. And I know that you have, um, you know, you're, you're the interviewer. So you're being extra humble today, which is so kind of you, but you have written a lot of books, collaborated with a lot of authors um, and had a tremendous amount of respect uh, and success in your own right. So it's, it is pretty cool uh, to have someone of your caliber and talent and just gift for storytelling, asking me the questions this week. So I'm, I'm grateful that you would take the time to take over the podcast. Well, thank you. I'm definitely a reader first and a writer second. <laughs> oh, awesome. That's a good way to put it. I like that. Well, thank you, Jason, for letting me take over today. And thank you for all of your insights. And I feel like I learned a lot and I was definitely enriched. Um, And I'm looking forward to your next book, which I'm looking forward to all your books. But I kind of want to go back and read a couple of my favorites. I think it was the Wednesday Letters is my favorite out of all of yours. Uh, Well, you're kind. I love that one, too. We're going to get that movie made now that now that Christmas Jars finally is out and and did well, and the pandemic is hopefully moving its way into the rearview mirror of life. The Wednesday letters is um, is percolating again, and we have a script. And I'm I'm excited. In fact, you know what? If you want to read the script, I I will send that to you, and you can, uh, as a fan of the book, you can tell me what you think of it. But I, uh, yeah, I'm I'm grateful grateful for the support and the and more importantly for their friendship through the years. You're a good egg. Well, thanks, Jason. I hope everyone has a great day, and thanks for all the questions, and thanks for listening. Thank you for joining us on Right Where You Are. For more information about Jason and his projects, visit him online at jasonfright.com 
or on social media at facebook.com slash jfwbooks or on Instagram at Jason F. Wright. And be sure to subscribe to Right Where You Are, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. This has been a production of Right Media Productions. Copyright 2021 by Jason F. Wright. All rights reserved.